shelter from the storm. Welcome to the Shelter from the Storm podcast, a daily walk through the Bible with me, Pastor Jason Poling, as we seek shelter in Jesus Christ from the storms of this life. It's a great day to glorify God. This is Pastor Jason Poling coming to you from the Shelter from the Storm podcast. And I am out here doing the podcast in the beautiful Northern California weather. I couldn't bear to be inside today. The last three podcasts, actually, I've been outside. It's just so awesome out. And uh, I know there's some extra noise, wind, etc. Hopefully that doesn't distract you, but actually puts you at rest, which is exactly what we need in a time like this when we're facing uh, this ongoing crisis. And it has definitely destabilized us in many ways, both physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And uh, that's why we're doing this podcast, because we need a place to put our feet. Uh, Our shaking legs need a stable rock to stand upon. And that rock, of course, is Jesus Christ, our refuge, our strength, our hope in the trouble that we face. And we go to the Word of God, because the Word of God ultimately reveals this Jesus Christ to us, that we can know Him more intimately and deeply, so that we can have that stability and peace in the midst of our storms. And so that's what this podcast is about, just a daily um, dive into Scripture, just a brief, no-frills, verse-by-verse look at God's Word so that we can uh, have the truth and be set free by it. We're in Mark chapter 6. I'm in the New American Standard Version, and we're in verse 14, and we're just coming off the heels of the text before this. The context is where Jesus um, goes to his hometown of Nazareth, and he is not the hometown hero. He ends up being the hometown scapegoat, the hometown outcast. In fact, they at the end of the text, they want to kill him. They're so angry with him and offended at him. And of course, uh, what Jesus is doing here, and we see this throughout the book of Mark, this uh, twofold response to his declaration of his deity and his uh, position as the Messiah. Uh, we have some, a minority, like the disciples who hear his identity and begin to believe it and grow in their faith in him. And then a majority of people who either are confused by his identity and his proclamation of himself, or even worse, they reject it and get offended. And and so Jesus is kind of helping his disciples, including us 2,000 years later, understand what the cost of discipleship is. When you take up the mantle of Jesus Christ in a mission, and you actually go out and do it, there will be many who will reject you, be confused by you, maybe think you're crazy, and some who will even hate you. And even to the point of death, and that's what we see in this text today where we learn about the death of John the Baptist, who also upheld the message of God. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 6, verse 14. It says, And King Herod heard of it. He heard of Jesus' fame and the miracles that he was doing, the teaching that he was bringing, and repentance in his name. For the name of Jesus had become well known, and people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying, He's Elijah. And others still were saying he's a prophet like one of the prophets of old. Of course, here you see the confusion of people in the identity of Christ. They just can't quite figure out who he is. But Herod, of course, in verse 16, because uh, this is after he had already killed John the Baptist, uh, he's haunted by that whole affair. And you see him say in verse 16, It's John whom I beheaded. He's arisen. So you clearly have a nervous Herod. Because the story, and we're going to learn the backstory here in verse 17 and following, Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. 
So this is, man, the whole thing's a Game of Thrones kind of weird, messed up scenario. So Herod Antipas, he's the son of Herod the Great. Herod is a tetrarch or a um, puppet king set up in the region of Galilee and Perea. Perea is, uh, Galilee is, of course, to the north of Israel, um, above Samaria, around the Sea of Galilee. And Perea is to the east of the uh, Jordan River, between the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. He has those two regions that uh, Tiberius Caesar, or it might have been Augustus Caesar, gave him authority over. And um, he's not the most popular king because he's not a full Jew. Jewish people don't like him. And he actually got in a situation where his half-brother, Philip, Philip was a half-brother who's also the son of Herod the Great, and Philip was also a tetrarch up in a region to the northeast of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Philip was married to Herodias. And Herod Antipas began to have an affair with Herodias and then uh, ended up marrying her, which was adultery and was against the Jewish law. And so the Jews really uh, despised Herod for this and Herodias. So uh, Herodias made King Herod odious to the people of Israel. There you go, I'm a poet and didn't know it. And so John the Baptist is a man who's willing to speak the word of God. He stands up and rebukes like the prophets of old, rebuking the kings of the Old Testament who were wicked, he rebukes Herod very publicly and Herodias. And that really made uh, Herodias angry. And she had a grudge against him, and she hated him so badly she wanted to put him to death. But she could not do so, of course, because she was not the king. She had to, she had to convince King Herod to take that action. And of course, you see here, uh, the message of the gospel always carries with it a message of repentance, uh, which is really a message of judgment. The gospel is is beautiful in that it combines the sweetness of grace and the bitterness of judgment. It brings those two together to create this savory experience, this deeply satisfying taste. You know, taste and see that the Lord is good. And, and that's why we need both messages. We can't just have the sweetness. And unfortunately, now in this day and age, a lot of people want preachers who speak to them just the sweet stuff. They only read the devotional literature that speaks of the sweet verses, the gracious verses of Scripture. And honestly, it's just like a sugar high. It gives you, uh, it goes down sweet and easy, but it creates this this crash, this high that, that ends up in not a good place because you, you, you realize, well, it's not that satisfying. Uh, the gospel isn't that relevant or impactful because it doesn't have the fullness that it was designed to have because we have a God who is clearly holy and is a judge. And we see that very early on in Genesis, and we see in the Noah's flood, he destroys the entire earth and all the inhabitants except for Noah and his family. And so what the gospel gives to us, and John the Baptist preached it well and so did Jesus, is that we really deserve judgment. I mean, I just sit here, I right now deserve to be wiped off the face of the earth because of my sin, and so do you. But we aren't wiped off. That's what's beautiful about the sweetness of grace in combination with the bitterness of the truth of judgment. That I'm not judged, I'm not condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans 8.1 And so we have to hear both those messages, but a lot of people don't want to hear that message. And Herodias was one of those, even to the point of hating John so badly she wanted to kill him. Herod, of course, was afraid of John. He had a sort of a respect for John, that he was a righteous and holy man, verse 20. Uh, and he was perplexed by his message. He didn't like the message that he was bringing because it was causing him political trouble. But he used to enjoy listening to him. It reminds me of... Um, Benjamin Franklin, who is not one you would want to follow in moral character. Benjamin Franklin was most likely not a Christian, especially by his fruits of 
great licentiousness and immorality, uh, thankful for what he did for our country, but not uh, a great Christian witness. But yet he would always go and listen to uh, George Whitfield, who was a strong preacher of both judgment and grace, and he would listen to them with rapt attention. And so I don't know what the phenomenon is there that allows uh, uh, people like Benjamin Franklin and Herod, who don't love God and Jesus, to listen to a message of judgment against them and never receive grace. It's, it's, uh, I'm not sure what's going on there. But a strategic day came when Herod on his birthday, he gave this banquet, right? And all these people that he's friends with, these leaders in the land, he's probably getting drunk with them. And the daughter of Herodias, uh, her name is Salome, we learn from church history, and she is asked by her mother to, uh, to, to try to do this dance, which was probably a seductive dance, to get Herod to give her something. And, of course, she asks him, you know, what she wants. And Herod says, hey, I'll give you whatever, whatever you want, up to the half of my kingdom. And, of course, Herod being pleased with her dancing, she didn't know what to ask, so she asked her mother, what should I ask for? In verse 24, 25, um, Herodias says, go and ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. Pretty gruesome, uh, again, a Game of Thrones type of picture. And what gets even weirder about this is um, Philip actually ends up marrying Salome. I, I don't think that Salome is his daughter by Herodias when he was married to her. I hope not. But the whole thing is very bizarre. Just a really messed up, ungodly, toxic uh, set of leaders in Israel at that time. So the king was asked for this by Herodias, and he was very sorry because he made these oaths in front of all these guests, and he couldn't lose face with all of them. So he gave her what she wanted, sent the executioner to cut off the head of John and brought it back on the platter. What an what a awful, gruesome uh, picture here in this party. And the disciples of John heard about this. They came and took away his body and laid it in a tomb. And we'll talk tomorrow about where... Jesus is told of this in the response. But this, again, is the, the cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus, the cost of speaking the true gospel message, one that is about judgment, but also about the grace. As John preached that too, that you, the, the king is coming. Prepare you the way. Baptize, be baptized for the repentance of sin. Be clean so that you can receive this holy king, and he will save you. He will give you the Holy Spirit. So it's a gracious message. But it does start with a judgment message. And it really, uh, we have to decide how we're going to receive it. And then if we're going to proclaim it without fear in the face of judgment. Thanks for taking a few minutes today to dive into the Word of God with me. I always love hearing your feedback and questions. So you can email me at jason at cornerstoneyc.com. Looking forward to continue in the Word of God with you as we seek shelter from the storm in Jesus Christ.